Today on The Journey. How does a believer look? How does someone look at you and by your spiritual clothes, your actions, your attitudes, say there's something different about that individual? You are beloved by the Heavenly Father. And with that love, He has clothed you in righteousness. In addition, He's provided apparel that identifies you as His child to a watching world. Ron Moore details the first two pieces of that wardrobe in just a moment. Plus, after the message, I'll let you know about Ron's devotional booklet titled Garments of Grace. In it, you'll discover eight items of spiritual clothing God wants every believer to wear. Garments of Grace is available as a digital download for a donation of any amount at ronmore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with part one of a message titled, Garments of Grace on the Journey. We've been studying the doctrine of grace. We've defined it as this, God's free, sovereign favor to the undeserving. It's from God. It is completely free. There's not one thing we can do to earn it, not one thing we can do to deserve it. It is by God's sovereign will and pleasure, the Bible says that he lavishes it upon us. But when we are graced, when we experience that, there are some things in our life that have to change. There are some clothes of grace that we put on, some garments of grace. We want to look at those garments of grace Take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians. We're going to look today at chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. Paul's writing to believers, and he is telling them not only what grace is about, we're going to use that as a review, but also what the person graced by God looks like, what that person clothes himself or herself with. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore... As God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other, forbearance, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Eight virtues, eight characteristics, eight garments of grace. Before Paul tells us about those garments, he reminds us what grace is all about. Let's start there. If you are a Christian, God has put his hand on you. He chose you to be his own. He chose you for himself. He chose you for his child. He chose you to carry out his purposes. That choosing didn't depend on anything you had done or anything you will do. God did not look down through the tunnel of time and say, I think that guy's going to be a pretty good husband. I'm going to choose him. That woman, she's a very virtuous woman. I'm going to choose her. I want her on my team. If that had happened, then our... Choosing would have been based on works. Our grace would have been based on works. And Paul says when grace is based on works, it's no longer grace. Because grace is God's free, sovereign will and work in our life. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Here's how we should respond to that. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. First Peter says it like this, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. And then Peter says, when you know that, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise God for the glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Secondly, Paul says, you've been set apart. You are a special instrument handpicked by God. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy. The word holy means to be set apart, means to be consecrated to God. And listen to this, it means to be worthy of God. I have trouble even comprehending that because I know my heart. We're sinners at the core. But because of grace, I am made holy by God. And because I am holy, made holy by God, I am worthy of God. Now, being holy is not a process. You don't become holier this year than you were the year before. Holiness is a position. Every believer here, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are as holy as the person sitting next to you. You're as holy as you're ever going to be. God has set you apart. And you are as holy as you will ever be because it's not dependent on you. God is the one who made you holy. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Not only was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ once for all, but our holiness, our being made holy as a child of God is once for all. Grace is being set apart by God. Thirdly, believer, you are dearly loved by God. Therefore, you are chosen people, holy, dearly loved by the Heavenly Father. I don't know of one truth I could remind you of and remind myself of that would be more encouraging, that would be more comforting, that would be more praiseworthy than this. As a believer, you are dearly loved by the Heavenly Father. And nothing, heaven or earth, can separate you from that love. In this life, we're going to face a lot of disappointments. Relationships are going to be broken. We're going to have heartache. We're going to have hurts. But there's one thing that going through every difficult time, the highest mountain peak or the deepest valley, it never changes. You are eternally loved, dearly loved by the Heavenly Father. Creator of heaven and earth loves you. Loved you so much that he sent his only son just for you. God demonstrated his love to you in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John says it this way. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That love of God never dulls, it never fades, it's unconditional, it's not based on something you would do or something you didn't do. In fact, think of this, as a Christian, there's absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you more. 
There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. You're dearly loved eternally by the Holy God. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on Colossians says this, when the unbeliever sins, he is a creature breaking the laws of the holy creator and judge. But when the Christian sins, he is a child of God breaking the loving heart of his father. So when an unbeliever sins, they're doing what they're bound to do. They continue to break the law. They continue to live under the penalty of the law. But when the believer sins, with the penalty of the law paid for, we're breaking the heart of the heavenly father. Dearly loved by God. Fourthly, Paul says, you've been forgiven. Verse 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You have been declared not guilty. The penalty of sin has been done away with. Our position of forgiveness is complete and it's final. It doesn't mean that we will not sin. It doesn't mean we will not have to go to God and ask forgiveness in order to restore our intimacy with him and our relationship and with fellowship with him. But positionally, we are forgiven. The penalty of sin is wiped away and we can live our lives in the freedom of that, knowing again, that there's nothing we can do that God would renege on his purposes for us and his calling of us. We have been forgiven by God. Now, how does he do that? How does a holy God forgive sinful man? Turn back one chapter to Colossians chapter two, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins. Here's how he did it. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. So here we are. We stand before God. Our debt accumulates. We continue to sin. The penalty is there. There's nothing we can do to remedy that. So God takes that away. He makes us alive. He takes away our debt and he nails it to the cross of Christ. And Christ is the one who pays the penalty of sin. And therefore, we are forgiven. And that's why there is no other name in heaven or earth by which man can be saved except that of Jesus Christ. That is why no other religion, however sincere, however sacrificial, cannot lead anyone to relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. He is the sinless, perfect sacrifice that pays the penalty of sin. So, we are chosen by God. We are set apart for Him. We are dearly loved. We are forgiven. That adds up to grace. The grace of God, the life of man, chosen, set apart, dearly loved, forgiven, positional truth that never, ever change. We've been graced by God. Now, when you know the grace of God, when those things have happened to you, don't you think there should be something different in your life? You should dress in different clothes, spiritually speaking. There are some things you should put off, some things you should put on. Let's look at 
the garments of grace. And we'll look at the first two. Before Paul tells us about what to put on, he tells us what we should take off. In chapter 3, in verse 5, he said there are some things that you can't wear anymore as a believer. When you've been chosen and forgiven and set apart, and when you are dearly loved, there are some clothes you cannot wear. You can't clothe yourself with sexual immorality or impurity or lust or evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. In verse 8, you can't wear any longer anger that cannot characterize your life or rage or malice or slander, filthy language. It's not a part of the believer's clothing. Look at verse 9. Don't lie to one another since you have taken off the old self and you put on the new self. Let's look at that new self and two garments of grace today. First, the garment of compassion. In verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. Now, as we go through these garments of grace, we're going to see that they're easy to define. They're easy to describe. They're relatively easy to illustrate. They're just hard to apply. They're just hard to do. Compassion is the first one. Compassion means to have mercy, means to have pity, means to have sympathy. It means to feel those things. It means that your life has within it the fabric of pity and mercy and sympathy, but it doesn't stop there. It results in action. You do something about it. You feel pity, but you don't do anything about it. That's not compassion. You feel mercy, but you don't do anything about it. That is not compassion. You feel sympathy for someone, but it stops there. Not compassion. In the Gospels, when Christ felt compassion, as he did many times, the writers tell us, he always did something. It never says he felt compassion and then he went away. He felt compassion and he fed the multitudes. He felt compassion and he healed the sick. He felt compassion and he taught them the word of truth. He felt compassion and he acted. Compassion always has with it action. It's always heartfelt never flippant or insincere, never done out of a dreaded sense of duty. It's always tender, never harsh or abrasive. It's never done with a sense of pride or superiority. It's never done as a favor to be repaid, never done to bring attention to oneself. What may appear to be the most compassionate action in our eyes is disqualified in the eyes of God if it is done with the wrong attitude or the wrong motive. We will always be impressed by people's outward appearance, but God sees the heart. Compassionate to the needs of others, to their spiritual needs. Getting involved in their life to share with them the words of truth. Compassionate for the lost. Are you compassionate for the lost? We want people to know Christ, but if we never do anything about it, that's not compassion. Compassion to the emotional needs of others, people going through extremely difficult times, a loss of a loved one, divorce, broken relationship. Compassionate to the emotional needs. Compassionate to the physical needs, acting to help another person out in need. Are we willing to do that? Are you compassionate in the very basic opportunities of your life? Do you demonstrate compassion, husbands to your wife, wives to your husbands? They demonstrate compassion to your children. If you're not going to demonstrate compassion at home, then don't export it. 
Are you demonstrating the garments of grace in the intimate relationships that God has placed in your life? Sometimes grace, acceptance, compassion needs to be shown to those we're closest to. And doesn't do any good to start a great organization of compassion when you're not demonstrating it to those God has placed right under your nose? Are you showing compassion to those closest to you? It's by no coincidence that Christ uses the word compassion to describe the father in his story of the prodigal son. Son rebels, takes the inheritance, squanders it on a moral living, comes to his senses, returns home, and Christ says in Luke chapter 15, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And it could be that that is the type of compassion that needs to take place in some of your families today. There's a story that Chuck Colson tells about a university professor in Madagascar named Pascal. He was imprisoned for his Marxist beliefs, but while he was in prison, he became a Christian. Just out of prison, he started a small import-export business, and his passion was to share Christ with the lives of the prisoners. So he would go back to the prison and he would share Christ. One day when he was walking past a room, he saw 50 bodies piled together with identification tags on their feet. And he asked the nurse if some epidemic was going around the prison. She said, well, kind of an epidemic. They're not getting enough food, malnutrition. So he went back to his little church, but they were too poor to do anything. He looked around for some government agencies, but they couldn't help. And so Pascal and his wife began to feed these prisoners out of their own home. Tremendous sacrifice with the small salary they made in their little business. They began to feed these prisoners every week. No agency helping them, no theme song, just cooking in their kitchen and making all the difference in the world for a long period of time for 700 prisoners in a Madagascar prison. Compassion means that you may have to sacrifice something. Compassion means that when God places something before you, he wants you to finish the task. So I don't know what God has placed before you. I don't know how you're going to use this garment of grace. I know you have to use it because that's how a Christian dresses. I don't know how God wants you to apply this aspect of compassion, but I know he does. And before God, you have to determine what sacrifices you're willing to make to obey God in this area. Let's look at one more. The garment of kindness. Again, very simple to define. Kindness simply is the desire for the welfare and the happiness of those around us. Now, the first reason we know that this is a garment of grace is the fact that we naturally don't think beyond ourselves. We're concerned about our plans and our positions and our stuff and our careers, ourself. It is a supernatural happening from the very beginning for us to think outside ourselves. It's an indication that God is at work in our life. And again, kindness is just not the thought that I'd like other people to be fulfilled and happy, but it is, what am I going to do about it? It's the good deeds it takes for that to happen. And again, I go back to the gospel. The kindest 
thing you can do for any person is to share with them the gospel. The thing that makes a person fulfilled and makes a person happy and it makes a person know that this life has to be centered around the eternal God is when they hear the gospel of Christ. So I go back to that question. Are you sharing the gospel with those around you? Are you making arrangements to build relationships with unbelievers so that you talk to them about the gospel of Christ? Not being obnoxious, not forcing anything on anyone. The Spirit's going to do His work. But placing yourself in a position and prayerfully asking God to give you the opportunities to share the kindest message you can ever share. You're doing kind deeds to those around you. Again, I ask you, is it starting at home? Is there kindness in your home? If someone went into your home, would they say, you know, there's a sense of kindness here. By the way you interact with one another, by the way you talk with one another, we know there's something different. A garment of kindness. The New Testament has much to say about the kindness of God. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says that God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. In Romans chapter 2, God's kindness leads sinners to repentance. In Ephesians chapter 2, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, it was God's kindness expressed through Christ brought us to himself. It seems scripture goes out of its way to contrast and compare God's kindness with our undeservedness. So what do we learn from that? We learn that if we want to be God-like, we want to be Christ-like, then we have to show kindness to people that we're never going to receive kindness from. We have to show kindness to people that may, figuratively speaking, slap us in the face. We have to show kindness to those we would consider our enemies. We have to show kindness to people who hurt us. That is a supernatural act. You cannot do that on your own. But it's a garment of grace. Jesus said this, Love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. When you do that, then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. You will be clothed as a son and daughter of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And you're acting like your father. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. When wanting to look your best in public, do you care about the appearance of your clothing? And the same question could be asked of your spiritual apparel, especially of those garments God has provided by His grace. They comprise an eight-piece ensemble made of heaven's finest virtues. You'll find that collection in Ron's PDF booklet titled Garments of Grace. In Garments of Grace, Ron describes each piece and how it's to be worn for God's glory. But here's a warning. When you don this wardrobe, you will be conspicuous. In a world dressed in filthy clothing, torn and tattered by sin, your attire will shine like the stars. Garments of Grace is yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. Again, that web address is ronmore.org. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's join Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. Now, let's continue today to look at the garments of grace. First, humility. 
The word translated humility means to be modest, means to be unassuming. Humility is a mindset. It's an attitude that demonstrates itself in appropriate actions. Now, humility is not self-flagellation. You don't have to be like a monk and shave a bald spot on the back of your head and dress in a plain robe and walk around beating yourself on the back. Humility does not begin on the outside, but it first adorns the heart. Then it's demonstrated in your life. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And please remember to get your copy of Ron Moore's digital devotional, Garments of Grace. In its pages, you'll discover spiritual apparel for the well-dressed Christian. Garments of Grace is yours for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmoore.org. That's ronmoore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on The Journey.